This is the Retail Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. We're on that third mega trend where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel. They're walking into stores a lot more informed. We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult. You know, every day is a challenge, but that excites the customer. They love that. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the show. Very happy to have you along for this episode of the program. We have two excellent features coming up for you today, the first of which is with Brian Eisenberg from Buyer Legends. Uh, he's written a number of best-selling books about the retail industry. He's joining to talk about the future of Amazon. So what are they looking to do? He kind of keeps his finger on the pulse of that uh, retail giant there in Amazon and kind of is trying to predict a little bit more of what they're going to do in the future, just reading the tea leaves a little bit, making some predictions and talking about what the future holds for that company. So really, really interesting. Not the easiest thing in the world to do, obviously, but he has some pretty bold predictions. Maybe Amazon dipping their toe into the transportation game a little bit. Something to keep an eye on for sure. So big episode with him coming up, uh, interview that I conducted with him. Uh, That is coming up on the show. Uh, A lot of great stuff in that one, including a couple of different predictions and what it means for the industry. Our second feature today is with Brad Grimes, and he is the Senior Director of Communications for Avixa, and they're the company that puts on Infocom, and Infocom is a pro-AV show. Uh, if you know anything about that world, you know the world of you know LED screens and uh, kiosks and things along those lines, uh, things that you might not typically associate with the retail industry. However, they are taking a special focus into the retail industry this year at Infocom 2019 later on in June, uh, mainly because of the intersection section of those two industries between retail and pro-AV, it's been exploding lately, just with people understanding that you can utilize digital signage in the retail industry and more and more things along those lines. As LED screens become more accessible, a little bit cheaper, people are starting to understand that they can be used in different ways. And so Infocom is going to highlight that this year. So we're going to talk to Brad about that and just that decision uh, for the people that are running Infocom to uh, to really highlight the retail industry this year. And I think that's a really exciting decision and something that uh, if you're in the retail space, you should maybe consider going to Infocom, even though it's something that maybe you wouldn't have attended in the past. I think that it's a valuable experience. And there are going to be some interesting solutions there for retailers from the pro-AV industry. So we're going to talk about that coming up in the second feature of the show today. Again, thank you all so much for joining us for this episode of the show. Let's dive into our first feature of the day. It's my conversation with Brian Eisenberg from Buyer Legends coming up next here on the Market Scale Retail Podcast. All right, joining me now on the podcast is Brian Eisenberg. He's the co-founder of Buyer Legends, and he's also the author of a number of best-selling books, including Call to Action, Waiting for Your Cat to Bark, Buyer Legends, Be Like Amazon, Even a Lemonade Stand Can Do It. He's written a lot of books. Brian, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, man. I am so excited to uh, to be here and join you. Excellent. Well, l- last time we spoke, it was right after NRF, and we had a conversation just about the trends that came out of NRF 2019 and uh, some of the other big things that you saw at that show. And then after the podcast, we were talking about the future of Amazon and kind of what some of their plans uh, were and that sort of thing. And some of the things that you told me just kind of blew me away, and I knew that we had to get you back on the podcast soon just to talk a little bit about what you saw Amazon doing 
doing and what you thought that meant for the future. And so, uh, full disclosure, I'm sitting here right now wearing an Amazon brand sweatshirt that I bought over the weekend that arrived at my door, you know, less than 48 hours after I ordered it. Uh, and so why don't we just start there? Um, because I, I think that's something that I've really noticed recently is just Amazon-specific clothing that they have now. What's the purpose of them jumping into this particular market, and what does it tell you about their larger strategy overall? Well, I think you know this is a big issue that people are uh, facing when thinking about private label brands and you know there's a lot of talk about you know amazon can't be the marketplace and the private label reseller they're using you know the the vendor's data against them and stuff like that look at the end of the day uh you know we've been buying private labels in supermarkets for how many years right and it it hasn't that doesn't really change right what what amazon fundamentally is doing is just looking for opportunities where there's no differentiation in the marketplace for a brand uh, one of the one of the earliest uh, private labels that went into was batteries mm-hmm. you know and you think about it you know i, I mean I, I, i'm old enough to remember buying radio shack batteries when, especially when my, my friend steve used to be the manager of the store he used to get really great deals um <laughs> that's that's another story um but you know there's energizer there's duracell you know there's a, there's there's a few others but you know, we were talking about this earlier. You know, how do we know which battery really is that much better than the next? I mean, there really is no clear differentiator. If they wanted to innovate and actually put something, say, okay, you put this in here and it showed you on the battery, you know, the, the life of the battery. It's like, oh, okay. So, But then, you know what? That's a feature somebody else is going to copy the next. And they'll all be very similar and there's mm-hmm. nothing really to it. And meanwhile, as Joe Consumer... I'm paying X more for Duracell versus no name brand, even though they're essentially the same chemistry kit in, in, in this little metal tin, right? Right. Um, and so Amazon said, okay, well, we can just offer our Amazon basic batteries and you pay less for it. And you pay less even if you subscribe and save. <laughs> and, and it just makes a, a ton of sense from, from their point of view. And, and you know, and I look at it, it's like, you know, there are certain things that are very hard to be, uh, to private label uh, Coca Cola, right? There, there's, you know, not only an emotional connection to the taste and to the brand, and we know this, right? Because there's been tons of other colas out there. We look how much Pepsi has battled them. Um, you know, remember RC Cola? Right? I mean, there, oh, there yeah. a, lot of, a lot of other colas out there, but none of them were able to ever un- unseat them just because of price, because there's something more meaningful in the brand. And so, if your brand has something of meaning, then you have an opportunity to compete. But if it's just a, you know, a, a, a fabric stitched together, uh, same material used on 6,000 other brands of sweatpants or sweatshirt <laughs> and the only difference is the label um you know i don't care what little jockey on a horse you have on your shirt i, I don't know how it justifies sometimes it justifies you know six or seven times the price right you'd, you'd have a hard time uh convincing uh like 13 year old tyler that the brand name on his shirt didn't matter a ton but now you know 30 something year old tyler is very very aware that uh, i would like to spend less for the exact same sweatshirt than uh you know, than what I would pay at, you know, a store with a, with a polo label on it. So that, that absolutely makes a lot of sense to me. And I remember a quote that I read one time that was attributed to Jeff Bezos. It might be, you know, misattributed or something along those lines, but it was something to the effect of, I'm not always looking for the next big thing. I'm looking for the thing that I know that people can't live without. Um, and that, that makes a lot of sense to me just in some of the things that they've done, understanding and knowing, okay, 
people have to have this to function. Uh, and then how exactly do we strategically place ourselves so that we're in a position where people would rather use us than other options? Or not have the confusion because there's so much you know, brand trust in Amazon. Right. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, it, I'm, I'm also equally curious about, you know, their uh, private label uh, branding strategy where sometimes, you know, you can tell that it's an Amazon brand and sometimes you can't. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think they're play that that's where they play a little bit with fire, um, because I think, you know, there is something to brand Amazon. Right. There, there is something to, you know, uh, you know, targets private labels. And so I, I think when you know and there, you associate the trust part of the brand, then you're taking advantage of that. And, and, and I don't want to eliminate anything from, you know, the identity portion of a label. Right. Because there's certainly there are people who wear a label and or, you know, like if, if you're a sports fan, if you're you know a Yankees fan or or uh, um, or, or a Houston fan. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you know, or, or, or you know, a, 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 uh, we won't talk about the Patriots right now, <laughs> um, but uh, because some some of those labels might get you know, yeah, taken the wrong way. Not not great um, timing for them. <laughs> not great timing for them. But there there is a brand affinity. So you know, if you sell something with their label, like my friends do at, at Fanatics, then of, of course it, that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. for the label, um, because there's again there's some greater meaning to it other than just the material costs. Um, and I think that is a huge opportunity. And I think this is where, uh, as you said, you know, Jeff Bezos at Amazon is looking for what things people um, can't live without. And I, I mean, I think the next big one, you know, we can look at is, you know, local retail. It's not going anywhere. And we know, you know, they're doing investment in stores, but I, I think they've got bigger plans. Well, OK, then let's let's dive into that. What what do you see as some of these uh, larger planes, because you're right, I, I don't see local retail going anywhere anytime soon, but how does Amazon kind of get themselves into that into that marketplace? And to a certain extent, they, they kind of have already dipped their toes into a little bit. Yeah, well, so, you know, right now, there are tons of, you know, independent shops all throughout the, the country. Uh, you know, just this morning, I was uh, uh, DMing with a guy on Instagram who runs a, you know, baseball socks and pants and belt company and you know talking about his growth and stuff like that and mm-hmm. of course you know he, you know he's, he, he owns this little shop in miami but he sells a bunch on on amazon he, you know the biggest problem though is that the people in miami might not even know that he's there and they can walk in and, and buy the product that's a great point and i suspect that amazon will launch uh, just the same way google has launched a kind of like a mobile index uh, amazon will launch a local marketplace and um i mean i told the, the product manager of of being not that long ago uh, just a few years ago i said you know it is it is theirs and, and google's fault that amazon has grown into the retail behemoth they did because they really didn't give the tools for the average business to compete they really made it complicated you had to be tech savvy you had to know how to do feeds and th- like it was it was super complicated i said you know with today's technology I can give everybody an app in whatever store they're in, take a picture of the product, recognize it with AI, say, is this this? Mm-hmm. Would you like to modify the description? What's the price you're selling it? How many do you have? Boom, it's now in the marketplace. We've done it. We've done entire podcasts with um, people 
talking about how to best position your restaurant on Google and the language that you have to speak to make sure that your rec- your restaurant gets recognized in Google. The fact that there's a language that you have to speak in order to kind of be found in that place does speak to the idea that it is not something that's just easy for the everyday normal mom and pop type restaurant to be recognized or found on Google. And I would assume that that would go the same way with, with retail locations. That's exactly it. And so why not give retailers the tools, right? You you know, they have all these Amazon web services. They're going to have checkout tools. They're going to have self checkout tools. They'll have, you know, uh, AI tools for, 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 you know, uh, grabbing from uh, product descriptions. They'll be able to house your reviews. Um, and you know, I know just from doing a little digging, uh, into Amazon, you know, they, they have a maps division. What would be so hard to imagine uh, those maps integrated into <laughs> cars that they own in the future, or, 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 or um, you know, or provided technology for in the future? There's a couple of different options in the way that goes, and right. those maps are completely integrated to your voice and into the marketplace and with all your preferences. And it's uh, it's way better than saying, "Oh, find me a restaurant near me." It's like okay, you know, I, I found six restaurants. I know, you know, these, you know, you tend to prefer, Ital- uh, you know, Italian food and, um, um, you know, Asian fusion, you know, this one's got five stars. Would you, would you like to hear a little bit of their, re- of their menu? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. But when you talk about, uh, local, uh, local retails and local marketplaces, you're giving people the option then, right, to either have it delivered to their home the way Amazon currently does, or you can swing by this local marketplace and then pick up what you've bought, right? That's exactly it, right? You, you'll be able to walk into the store uh, the same way you walk into like into uh, Whole Foods now, because one of the things I think a lot of people missed. Uh, that Amazon launched in their Prime Now app, um, I think this was January-ish, mm-hmm. um, is the ability to buy online and pick up in-store at Whole Foods. Yeah, yeah. That's their testing ground right now. So imagine I can go ahead and now into any business. You know, I, I want to do sweatpants, right? And instead of going into the store, I just go to the, you know, I go to my Amazon app and say, okay, I'm looking for sweatpants. Oh, I'm look, I, you know, I need something that that matches the color of, you know, my son's baseball uniform. Mm-hmm. I'm great, right? Because I kind of want to, you know, look like him when I'm on, on the field. <laughs> right. Um, and it tells me, oh, great, you know, it's at, you know, this small pop, you know, small shop, you know, three miles from you. Would Would you like them to have it shipped, or would you like to just drive by and pick it up? I'm like, oh, it's on the way to the field. I'll just pick it up. I yeah. go in there. Yeah. They scan it with their phone camera, the barcode that's there. It's already paid for. They get their commission. Amazon gets their piece, and I've got my product instantly. Right. It's uh, it, it's pretty incredible. And, and a lot of what you're speaking to is information that, that Amazon already knows, right? Or, or they're already working on certain aspects of things, whether it be maps, you know, so then they already have that information. They already know more about what I buy and what I need than, than I do probably at any given time. So this is all information that they already have that they're just integrating into a larger picture. Exactly. And and they're building the tools to enable retail. I, 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 look, I, I, I honestly believe and, and uh, you know, just just again, just watching some of their behaviors, you know, retail is not an easy business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can all all right. agree on that. And at the end of the day, um, it is way more uh, cost effective for them 
to take a piece of a transaction that they've had nothing to do with. Then yeah. to warehouse, package, ship, right, to do all that. Imagine if all they did was collect that same credit card fee, essentially, right, for me just ordering it on their platform and me going and picking up the product. Yeah, yeah. And, and then does that... Um, that then, you know, also benefits local business. And in a way that also comes across as a, um, exactly, exactly. As a, as a massive PR win that they're not the guys putting people out of business. They're the people supporting your local business and keeping your neighbors employed and with jobs and businesses. Well, it's the same, they, they you know, they launched that, that, that marketplace for like the, you know, like the Etsy competitor where people can, you know, have their own crafts and, and, and bring them into Amazon, it, it, you know, like, I think they're going to be able to be a great incubator for businesses. So um, I don't know if, uh, if you've seen uh, Siete Foods yet, right? They make grain-free chips and wraps. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, you know, they're a local Austin business, you know, here, and, you know, and they, they got started in a couple of local shops and, of course, then went into Whole Foods, and now they got, you know, some big, big, big funding around behind them. But, you know, imagine, again, right, if you're Amazon and you enable Siete to start selling locally. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, great. You know, here's a way to go pick it up, or you can pick it up at this store. That was great. Um, uh, now they're starting to realize, okay, this is getting some traction. Now they can go in there and they can amplify it to multiple marketplaces because they know it's successful. Yeah, yeah. So, again, the data is what's so in- invaluable in terms of what people will buy, and they'll know, oh, people like Brian buy these chips, right? Well, you know what? I've got you know a huge marketplace in San Francisco that would buy the same thing. You know, how can we help them get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's absolutely massive. Now, you mentioned earlier, and I want to go back to it real quick, uh, the idea of Amazon, and you mentioned it when you were talking about maps, uh, potentially investing in their own automobile kind of area or industry. Uh, and there have been some developments along those lines. What do you think uh, their future plans are when it comes to automobiles and, and cars? So I think they will end up making an acquisition like they did with Whole Foods when the stock is completely distressed. And we're starting to see that with GM having to do all those layoffs and other car companies, you know, car sales are going down. Stock prices are, you know, are are being driven ridiculously low considering the amount of uh, assets that they actually have. And um, one thing we know is Amazon's already invested an undisclosed amount into a company called Aurora. This just this just happened. Uh, I think I think this was at the uh, beginning of February, right? So just really recently, um, and they didn't announce how much of the funding this company got, but they got 530 million dollars. But we don't know how much from Amazon. But the the language here is great. Um, the, uh, the e-commerce titans' investment in Aurora. I'm reading from uh, from an article on CNBC follows its addition of risk language in its 10K filings that Amazon views, in quotes, transportation and logistic services as competition. And so I believe that, and this is a, a self-driving vehicle, I believe mm-hmm. that someday, again, just knowing the friction point that consumers have, just looking at the buying behavior of, um, of, of a lot of millennials, you know, especially here in, like in downtown Austin, you know, people are not buying cars. There's no room for them. So you're using the car to goes and, uh, and you're using Uber and Lyft and it's, it's almost more cost effective than owning your own car. And if you think about it on the average person who owns their own car, you know, unless you're like a traveling salesperson, you know, you, you take your car, you drive it to work. It sits in the parking lot there. You, you you run a couple of errands. You come home and it sits all night 
<laughs> you know, until you take it out again. Right. right. And so the car is sitting, you know, 80, 85 percent of the time not being used. Meanwhile, you're paying for, you know, the, the car payment. You're paying for insurance. You're paying for gas. You're paying for uh, maintenance. Um, you know, it, it's certainly not cheap. And especially if you have multiple cars, you know, then, then it becomes a whole, a whole different issue. And I believe that, one, Amazon doesn't want to get into the car selling business because that's a mess. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, and, and, and we've seen that. We see what, what, what Tesla's had to go through and all that. And I, I think he's been happy to kind of sit in the sidelines and watch um, Elon Musk take that battle on of, of, of dealerships and all that. But what if – this is the big what if. What if Amazon decided that to use this you know, self-driving vehicle technology that they've invested in? And now basically offer you Amazon Prime cars where whenever you need the car, you go into the app and you tell it I need the car and you end your ride just like you would do in like in a car to go. Um, and then that car drives back to the local fulfillment center, mm-hmm. fills up with packages, and now is being used for de- fulfillment for all the hours you don't need it because it already knows when you need it back by. <laughs> it's, it's pretty uh... – I mean that that's pretty ingenious, right? Like that that anticipates what people need, but also then accomplishes further goals of the company that uh, is efficient, and that makes that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I have a boss that says, you know, he he doesn't drive to work; he Ubers to work every day because he says his time is is valuable. So he's able to spend that time sending emails and preparing for the day. And why should he do something that somebody else can do for him? And I kind of foresee that mindset being able to to spread if there's this that is as accessible as it sounds like it could be uh you know spreading amongst other young people just to say all right like why do i need to spend this money on a car when there's a a, a fully functional service that's willing to do this for me which is which is just part of my amazon prime membership so instead of just worrying about two-day delivery oh i can also have access to cars anytime i need them <laughs> Right, right. That kind of makes sense to me. Uh, you know, that that is until we get our own personal drones that fly us all over the place. But <laughs> that's that's a different time, uh, maybe, but may, maybe not as far off. <laughs> yeah, an- another episode entirely. But I, I do want to ask, because this is kind of in the news recently, is that people seem to have somewhat strong reactions to the situation in New York with Amazon, where they have kind of bailed out of their plans to build a second headquarters in Long Island. Um, is too much being made of that, and, and does this really? change any of their plans because it seems to me that people are now you know predicting the the downfall of amazon because of this but i don't know that it really changes anything too much for them moving forward does it i don't think it changes anything at the end of the day you know they're they're still adding jobs in new york they're still adding jobs here in austin they're still adding jobs in in countless number of places across the country Mm -hmm. the difference was you know they were asking for um you know a little a little extra support if they were going to go big in one well it turned out two places right to to help support that and and be a partner in that growth right and uh there was a great commentary by um i I had read it yesterday um by one of the 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 finance guys in new york and he kind of really broke it down extremely well um you know like why it went wrong and how things like shouldn't shouldn't have shouldn't have gone wrong it would have been really a great thing for new york um but but people again you know really truly didn't understand what what the deal was mm-hmm. um and you know there's there's no question that right now uh jeff bezos and amazon needs a lot of uh, goodwill um 
uh, PR, right? It, it, it doesn't need to be in the middle of any kind of battle. And I think that's all they saw it as. Like, you know what? We don't need the resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there were, what, 234 other cities that were more than glad to, to, to welcome them and to showcase everything they wanted to. And right. It's like, you know, why are we going to go into someplace where we have to experience friction from day one? Yeah, yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense. So what I hear you saying is uh, the plans for Amazon's to for Amazon to eventually be our overlords are still very much in play, and uh, everything's on track. Well, because I think the, <laughs> think the one thing we've learned is you know what in retail it is about location, location, and location. Sure. Yeah. But in the Amazon model, location could be anywhere as long as you figure out how to distribute your mm-hmm. locations, and that's what they're doing. Well, I'm fascinated to see it, fascinated to see what happens next. And, uh, you know, whether it's cars or local marketplaces or any of these things, I'm, uh, I'm pumped to see uh, what happens. And we're living in a, in a fascinating time. So, Brian, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the podcast today and uh, breaking it all down for us. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I, I'm excited to see some of the new brands that will emerge out of this new mm. world that Amazon is building out. You know, we, we've seen great brands emerge just from Amazon um, online, like Instant Pot for example, right? Right, right? That wouldn't have ever had a business if it wasn't for Amazon. So we're going to see a lot of local companies do the same thing. Well, uh, th- I mean, th- I, and I think that that's great news and that's, that's something to be excited about. Where can people find more of uh, your writings, your thoughts, that sort of thing, if they're interested in, uh, in uh, following along with, uh, with what you have on a day-to-day basis? Sure. I, I mean, I certainly share a bunch on Twitter and, and on LinkedIn, but you, know, you, can, you can find me at uh, buyerlegends.com as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the uh, that's the easiest way. There you can find links to all the social media accounts, books, uh, and, uh, and and whatnot. So, Brian, thank you again for joining the podcast. And uh, as always, we'll have to do it again soon. Looking forward to it. I always love getting to have those conversations with Brian because he has such a passion for the industry, but also he's so insightful when it comes to Amazon and what they're doing and really does keep his finger on the pulse of that company and what's going to happen next. And I'm interested to see about the local marketplace idea and whether or not that comes to fruition and if it does, how that affects the industry. I like what he said about, you know, all of a sudden Amazon becomes the champion of the local brand and the local, um, you know, the local retailer, the small mom and pop type store that maybe people would have thought would be put out of business by an Amazon, all of a sudden Amazon becomes a conduit for how to get to them and how to find them and purchase items. Curious to see if that happens and what the reaction to that is and whether or not that does in fact build some good PR uh, for the big company. So very curious to see what happens in the future. All right. Coming up next is my conversation with Brad Grimes, and he is the communications director for Avixa. We're going to talk about Infocom 2019, which is a pro AV show, but we're going to be talking about that intersection between pro AV and retail coming up in that interview and really how pro AV has started to dive way more into that retail industry and retailers are starting to take notice of here are some things that we can do utilizing LED screens and kiosks and more of that type of pro AV type technology. So that's what we're going to be talking about next coming up on the retail podcast brought to you by Marcus. Joining me now on the podcast is Brad Grimes. He's the Senior Director of Communications for Avixa. Brad, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, sir. Thanks for having me, Tyler. 
Absolutely. So we're talking today about Infocom. It's the largest technology exhibition and conference in North America focused on the pro-AV industry. And it's going to be held this year, June 8th through the 14th at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando. And earlier this week, you announced that uh, this year's show is going to focus on the market for pro-AV products in two specific industries. And I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about uh, which two markets you chose and why they stood out to you. Well, sure. Well, um, first of all, it goes back to uh, a desire of uh, Onovix's part, who runs uh, Infocom, and a lot of our members and exhibitors to uh, to focus more on solutions uh, for AV products and services. Uh, you know, clearly the technology and products on our show floor are uh, spectacular and continue to drive the industry forward. But it's really how you pull those together and solutions uh, for the end user markets that uh, all of our members operate in that uh, that has the biggest impact. So. Um, this year, we are uh, working with some partners to to develop some content for the uh, retail and hospitality spaces, uh, and we we looked at those primarily because uh, you know we we do a lot of market research at Avixa, and those are two areas where the market for products and services, uh, you know, AV products and services, is basically growing faster than than some of the other markets, and and those are industries that are doing some some pretty cool stuff with AV. Uh, solutions, and we just want to start creating this dialogue between not only our solution providers, but uh, those end users and specifiers and decision makers in those markets to to really understand uh, you know how AV can be brought to bear uh, to create better customer experiences in their markets. So, so we'll we'll be developing some new content. Uh, you'll see uh, you know some some great partners working with us, and uh, you know we think that this is uh, you know Infocom is a great place to start these dialogues between our industry and the markets they serve. Absolutely. And uh, education programs are always always really big at shows like this. Do you have uh, things planned in that area to really help people learn more about what's going on in these specific industries? Yeah, yeah, we have we have relationships with some some people who operate in those in those spaces. Uh, VMSD magazine, which is a is a retail design magazine, we've become uh, close with them over the years. We participate in a retail design conference that they put on, um, and Hotel Management magazine, um, which. Uh, clearly is close to the hotel development and operations and design uh, parts of that industry. And and those two groups, as well as in the retail place space, we're also working with a uh, uh, customer research firm called PSFK. They do, uh, you know, retail customer experience research. Um, those three groups will be developing, uh, you know, sessions, uh, workshops, uh, panel type uh, discussions um, that will be part of our uh, education package at the show, and and, and we think will will really raise the uh, level of conversation about uh, solutions in those markets. What do you think that it is about these markets specifically that um, that's causing so much innovation to be going on right now, and so much investment to be put into these specific areas? Well, they're clearly uh, different types of markets, but they're 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 both doing similar things. They are they are trying to use, you know, not not just technology. Clearly, we're focused on technology, but um, they're 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 using technology and AV technology to you know, basically create new experiences. The in the retail space, you know, we've heard for years that you know Amazon is going to put uh, lots of retailers out of business and. To be honest, they, you know, the retail market has struggled, but what they've discovered is that, you know, shoppers do still want to go out and shop. 
and and they will go shop if uh, they have an experience that um, that speaks to them that they can engage with. Um, we've done a lot of research in, in the retail market about what actual shoppers look for um, when they're out there, and they are looking for technology to um, to lure them in, to to make them come and engage with products. Um, and retailers are realizing this, and it's it's almost like it's a, you know a rebirth of the retail industry right now. Um, there are certainly uh, corners of the industry that are that continue to struggle, but you know retailers are creating destinations um, for their brands, and they're using technology to do that in a lot of uh, in a lot of cases. And the hospitality industry is just, I mean, it's one of these industries that is seeing a a, a boom because um, people in general are are looking to, um, to to get out and to have experiences and not just you know just not just buy products all the time and they're traveling a lot more so the the travel industry is is, is very healthy and hospitality companies whether they're hotels or they're you know restaurants and bars are using technology to draw customers in to to make their uh, their their locations memorable um, a hotel doesn't just have to be a place where you hold a conference or spend the night, um, and they're using technology to do that. And so we think we have a, a great opportunity to link our industry with theirs uh, and help them achieve their goals. Is there a specific area of the market that you are excited to see kind of what what gets brought to the table, whether it be uh, you know digital signage in retail or kiosk technology, something along those lines? Is there is there anything like that that you're specifically excited just to see what gets brought and and, and what is going to be on display there at the show? Well, digital signage is, is clearly a uh, significant part of both of those industries. And, um, you know, digital signage, as, as we call it, has been around for a long time, clearly. Um, but new technology has taken it to, to new levels. There is interactivity now. There is immersion. Um, you have these uh, large-scale, fine-pitch LED uh, display technologies that allow um, retailers or hospitality companies to create um, new solutions that that really do either communicate information or entertain or enhance communicate uh, enhance collaboration. If it's a if it's a you know sort of a conference center in a in a hotel, um, so I would say display technology and and uh, digital signage. Um, are in a growth period in part because you know markets like retail and hospitality are looking to them more and more to uh, to build out these experiences for their customers. And if people are listening to this and thinking, all right, I need to go, I need to be there for this uh, for this uh, this show this year at Infocom, uh, can they register and and where can they do that sort of thing? They can and they should. Uh, yeah. If they're listening to this and thinking that, then I would agree 110%. Um, registration is open now. It's at uh, www.infocomshow.org. Um, yeah, we're looking for looking forward to a great show this year. This is uh, one of the years that we're in Orlando. Um, it's a it's a it's a great uh, uh, collection of not just our industry channel members, but uh, we get we get a good collection of customers and end users and and uh, decision makers, influencers at this uh, at this show. And um, you know, I think everybody will uh, take away some uh, some ideas for how they can apply AV in uh, in their markets. Absolutely. Now, I can't let you go without mentioning I, I had the opportunity to meet you at ISE in Amsterdam up in the uh, the media area there. Uh, what were your opinions of uh, ISE just as a show, um, how big it's gotten, that sort of thing? Just uh, what, what were your impressions of that show there in Amsterdam? 
Well, it was, I mean, it was a great show and, mm -hmm. uh, Mike Blackman and his team over at ISC do a, do a spectacular job every year. Um, and, uh, demand for that show just continues to, uh, to build, uh, you know, there were, there are more exhibitors than ever, more attendees than ever. Um, and, and Amsterdam's just a great location for that show. Um, so I thought it was a great show. I, I, I thought it did, uh, a super job of focusing on these solutions, focusing on these markets where audiovisual technologies can, can have a positive, uh, outcome, um, for, for companies. Um, and clearly it continues to grow, which is why, uh, in, uh, after next year, we'll be in Barcelona where we can con continue to grow it even farther or even further. And, um, uh, I, you know, if, if people are able to, um, I would, I would highly suggest putting that, uh, that, that trade show on their calendar. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, Infocom 2019 registration is open. So go register now. Brad Grimes, thank you so much for taking some time to talk about Infocom 2019 and some of the big themes coming up. Uh, we certainly appreciate it and we're looking forward to it. Thanks, Tyler. I appreciate it. Right, unfortunately, that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. Thank you all so much for tuning in, for listening along. I really do appreciate it. I hope you found it informative and an enjoyable episode. And if you did, please feel free to share this content around with other folks in the retail industry. We would certainly appreciate that very much. Also, you can leave us a nice rating there on iTunes. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. Those things all help uh, make sure that we're able to continue creating content just like this. Again, if you enjoyed this content, there's more content just like it over at the retail industry page there on MarketScale's website. So if you head over to MarketScale.com, click on Industries up at the top of the page, scroll down to Retail, you'll be able to find more podcasts like this as well as video content like our recaps from NRF from last month or written content as well. So we have a lot of stuff there for you to consume that will be able to tide you over until our next episode of the podcast. Like I said, we'll be back soon with another episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.